We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. This pandemic has been difficult on just about everyone, but it's taken a special toll on frontline healthcare workers. And now, after two years facing down one COVID surge after another, many are reaching a crisis point. We're at a point, it's like, why am I here again? You know, what am I doing this for? Welcome to KCBS In Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and today on the program, we're going to hear directly from healthcare workers about the challenges of practicing medicine during this time of pandemic. And we'll also hear what kinds of support could help. We need to prepare for these things and prepare for the well-being of our staff when we're doing this, not just how we're going to staff the emergency room services. Starting off the program, though, we're going to dig a little bit more into what frontline healthcare workers are facing during this current surge. For some local perspective, I spoke recently with one East Bay nurse who's been caring for patients throughout the pandemic. We see the worst part of this pandemic. We see the people who were coming in and couldn't breathe. We see the people that were coming in and dying. That's Mawada Kamara, a registered nurse who works in the ER at San Leandro Hospital. Making that work all the more difficult, she says, major staffing shortages at her hospital that have only gotten worse in recent weeks, as Omicron has sent more patients to the ER and as more of her colleagues have been infected and forced to stay home. We have patients in the hallway. We're going in different parts of the ER to see where we can put patients and take care of them. Every corner. And then trying to find nurses to take care of them. And of course, on top of all that, she's got her own family to look after too including two young daughters who just recently came down with COVID themselves. Kamara took some time off to look after them, but even in a genuine family emergency, she still felt a twinge of guilt leaving work, knowing that her co-workers need as much help as they can get right now. I almost feel like I have to apologize for me not being able to help. But then how much can you take, though, you know? How much can you take? 
think we're just at the point where we're just sick and tired of it. We want to get treated better. Um, and it's not too much to ask, you know? We've been taking care of people this entire pandemic and it seems like no one wants to take care of us. And it's just unfortunate. And that was Mawada Kamara, a registered nurse at San Leandro Hospital. Responding to a request for comment, a spokesperson for San Leandro Hospital said in a statement that the hospital does maintain good staff-to-patient ratios, and he insisted that administrators work with clinical staff to address scheduling issues. Now, that was the experience of one nurse, but the challenges she's describing are widespread. So to broaden out the conversation, we're going to welcome onto the program now Kathy Kennedy. She is a president for the California Nurses Association and is also a registered nurse herself in the neonatal intensive care unit at Kaiser Permanente in Roseville. Welcome to the program, Kathy Kennedy. Thank you for having me. So you just heard Mawada's account there, uh, but from my understanding, Many others share her feelings as well, and there's a word that some are using to describe that feeling, burnout, Uh, but I understand you prefer another term, moral distress. Why is that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, listening to Mawada and and how she, you know, expressed the overwhelming amount of patients coming through the ER doors and, you know, no beds, no room for patients to be cared for, let alone the crisis of short of the shortage of staff lead. And I also heard her talk about, you know, patients coming in and they're dying. And so, you know, as a registered nurse, as a healthcare worker, what we see day in, day out, we can't even catch our breath. And so let alone um, have an opportunity to debrief on the death of a patient because the next person is being wheeled in to occupy that space. And then you have to go home and and take care of your family and you worry about potentially exposing them to COVID. So it is a, it is a moral distress. You know, it, it is about how do we, how do we manage this when the employer We've been fighting for the last two and a half years on making sure that the employer provides not only registered nurses, but healthcare workers with the optimal PPE that is needed. You know, we have been fighting for a long time. And so, you know, it gets to a point where you, you, you feel like, is anyone listening to us or are we that disposable? And so it is a moral distress because as registered nurses, we're here to provide safe therapeutic care and, and we're not doing it because, you know, if, if the employer is not providing a safe work environment for us, making sure we have the PPE that we need so that we can protect ourselves and to provide care to our patients because we have the staff that's necessary to do that. We're at a point, it's like, why am I here again? You know, what am I doing this for? You know, so it, it's a dilemma. Yeah, speaking once again to Kathy Kennedy, uh, president for the California Nurses Association. And so when we talk about staffing shortages, help us understand what is the root cause of these shortages? Why, why are they happening? And what are you saying needs to change? Well, the root cause is that the employer is not providing a safe work environment for, for nurses. 
Um, here in California, we have the nurse to patient ratio law, which, you know, based on the patient security, a registered nurse will have a certain number of patients. Um, em employers have been able to get, attempted to get waivers uh, the first part of the pandemic. Um, and our organization really had to push back on that because we knew um, that by eroding our, our ratios, then that means there would be an additional delay of care to our patients. And, you know, this, this, we have enough licensed nurses here in the state of California. They're leaving because they, whatever hospital that they're in, the employer is not making it a safe work environment, meaning they don't have what they need to ensure their safety so that they can care for the patients without inadvertently exposing them to COVID. So, uh, yeah, just to uh, highlight those concerns, uh, obviously, over the course of the pandemic, there have been shortages of protective gear for medical workers. Uh, and, and recently, uh, California enacted a very controversial policy change allowing asymptomatic medical workers who have tested positive for the virus to return to work. Uh, so it's a move that is intended to address the serious staffing shortages that we've been discussing. But uh also obviously raises lots of concerns that these workers could infect patients or, or perhaps their colleagues uh, as well. So uh, certainly has become a flashpoint. Uh, ending things out on a little bit more of a forward-looking note, Kathy Kennedy, what do you see coming out of this very difficult moment? Uh, are you hopeful that it could lead to some of these lasting changes that you're talking about? I am hopeful because there are, again, we have enough uh, life, active licensed registered nurses, you know, uh, in California and, and really across the United States. But, and when the employers put in place safe working environments, meaning, you know, making sure that if you do contract COVID, that you are allowed time away, ample time to recover and the, those sick hours you're gonna be compensated for it instead of really forcing people to have to come to work, even though they're asymptomatic, but COVID positive because you know they, they need the funding, they need the money to, in order to work, as well as all of the other you know, infection measures. You know, of course, get vaccinated if you're able to get vaccinated, but also make sure that we have you know, proper ventilation in our hospitals, making sure that you know, we have the staff that we need um, throughout the hospital, um, and all of those things are so important. Um, and it can be done. These hospitals are making a ton of money, a lot of profits, profit driven. It's like a business instead of really treating healthcare as a human right. Um, and it's important for everyone to have access to healthcare and to make sure that its workers are protected. All right. Uh, well, we uh, thank you for your perspective. We have been speaking once again to Kathy Kennedy. She is a president for the California Nurses Association, as well as a nurse at the intensive care unit at Kaiser Permanente in Roseville. Uh, Kathy Kennedy, thanks again. Thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Benconi. Today, we're hearing from healthcare professionals about the incredible strains they've been experiencing over the past two years. We just got the perspective of two nurses. Now, we're going to head over to UCSF Health to hear next from a senior administrator with the hospital. That would be Pat Patton, UCSF Health's system chief nurse executive. Pat Patton, welcome to, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Great. Thank you, Keith. So we just heard from our last two guests about the stresses caused by staff shortages during the pandemic. Uh, also, just getting the sense overall that the sheer length of time they've been facing this pandemic is taking a toll all by itself. What would you want to add to our picture uh, of why this moment does feel like a turning point in the healthcare system? Well, Keith, it's a great question. You know, we've been in this pandemic now for two years, over two years and it keeps going on. I think one of the things that people keep saying is, well, you know, it's almost over, it's almost over, and yet it keeps going on. And I think that adds to the anxiety, the stress, and the burnout of our nurses because they think it's going to be over, but yet it continues on. So I think this turning point now is, I think people are understanding this is now going to continue. It doesn't seem like it's ever going to let up, and it, it gives then nurses a pause to think about what's next and what do we expect to be next. Yeah. And and so what is then the role of the hospital uh, in responding to those challenges? Great question. We, we have to continue to think about what can we do to support our nurses, staff, and faculty in a way that is continues to be more and more robust. How do we continue to check in? How do we continue to have communication moments? How do we continue to be present as leaders on our units and check in with our nurses and staff? How do we then provide other resources for them and continue to look for other resources that are going to provide that benefit to them to continue to have them come back to work every day? Well, just to bring in a few of the concerns that we heard from our last uh, guests and uh, actually really uh, many others that have been uh, uh, expressing their concern in print or on broadcast in the past couple of weeks, essentially, 
Um, some concerns about the way that hospitals have managed uh, the pandemic. In particular, they feel that hospitals didn't do enough to plan ahead for this current surge. And now they say frontline medical workers are left in a difficult position, uh, working long hours on the one hand, and uh, now given the California policy um, allowing COVID positive health care workers that are asymptomatic to uh, go back to work. Uh, Many are worrying about the potential that they could be asked to work even though they're infected. Um, So taking all those concerns together, do you feel that more could have been done? Uh, What's your response to that? Um, It's a great point by those nurses, and I can see why they're, they're thinking that way. I think this pandemic is new to all of us, whether it's frontline staff nurses, administrators, infection prevention um, professionals. I don't think anyone knew what was coming. And I think that we all did the best in the moment to prepare for what is coming. I think that we learned early on, Keith, of what was happening during the pandemic. And we made sure that we had enough supplies and enough uh, protective equipment for our frontline staff so that they had that. And I can tell you during this latest surge that there was never an issue, at least at UCSF Health, with having enough N95s or gowns or masks, because we made sure that we learned from that two years ago what we needed to have going forward. I think, you know, looking at what we're dealing with with uh, the new CDC guidance or um, CDPH's guidance here in California, yes, we're putting that into place, but we will never demand that anyone come back to work if they are not ready to come back to work. If they are still having symptoms and they still feel sick, we're asking them that they can stay home so that they don't um, come to work um, sick. And we know that we have nurses who are asymptomatic and are wanting to come back to work. And they're asking to come back to work because either they don't have any sick time, any vacation time, and they have families to feed and to support. And so they're wanting to come back. So we're providing that for them should they want to, but making sure that they have a negative test before they come back to work to protect their coworkers as well as our patients. Speaking once again to Pat Patton, UCSF Health's System Chief Nurse Executive. So, you know, just in speaking to uh, the nurses that we heard from earlier and uh, reading the accounts from others, it, it does seem like, as as I mentioned, uh, frustration and just a certain amount of ill will has built up over the course of the pandemic. Um, wondering what can be done to bridge that, because there is legitimate concern now that this profession will suffer, that uh, more people, not just nurses, but doctors as well, uh, will be uh, scared off, will will decide that they want to do something else with their uh, skills and talents. What do you think needs to be done to meet this moment and uh, have kind of a coming together and say, you know, the years ahead um, are going to be easier for everyone and we're going to find a way to make this work for more people in this profession? You know, um, Keith, I'm not sure that the years ahead are going to be easier. And I think that we have to be transparent with our staff and faculty to say, we don't know what's coming. We don't know what will be next year or the year after that or the year after that. What I can say is, though, that we need to keep the dialogue open. We need to have regular open forums with our nurses. We need to have constant communication. We need to be out and rounding on our units, um, all levels of leadership to make sure that we're talking and addressing their concerns in the moment. Because the concern for a nurse today may be different tomorrow and the next day. And we need to address the concerns that are going on in our communities so that we have that dialogue and able to speak up and allowing them to speak up and have easy access to us and easy access to the resources they need to survive in the coming years to do that. We are concerned, Keith, about what is it going to do because we've seen already some nurses retire early 
because they don't want to be in the profession any longer around this pandemic. And so we're looking at what can we do for the future to make sure we're having nurses come behind them in order to fill their slots. And rounding things out, uh, it has been a challenging time, but uh, perhaps also a time with many lessons learned. Are you, are you hopeful that there are uh, helpful lessons that the uh, healthcare system can take out of this pandemic and uh, use to make itself stronger in the years ahead? Absolutely. You know, what can we do um, to listen more closely to our nurses and our physicians and our respiratory therapists, et cetera? What can we do to make sure that we're prepared going forward and in, in providing more community education to our communities so that they're prepared earlier? Um, what can we do to make sure that um, we're prepared for the supply shortages that are going on so that um, we're ahead of the game and communicate stronger to our nurses? We know our nurses are tired. They're, they're anxious. They're burnt out. Um, and we're here to support them. And we need to do more of that over and over and over. All right. We have been speaking to Pat Patton, UCSF Health's System Chief Nurse Executive. Pat Patton, thanks so much. Thank you, Keith. Appreciate you bringing me on the show. Following the interview, a spokesperson reached out to KCBS to add that UCSF employees are eligible for up to 80 hours of paid leave when they cannot work due to COVID illness. listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Today, we're talking about the sense of burnout, or moral distress as some prefer, facing medical workers as this pandemic enters its third year. So far, we've been hearing mostly about staffing shortages and logistical challenges facing hospitals, but what about the sheer emotional strain of it all? Well, that is also a problem that's earning more attention as well. We got the news recently that the federal government is planning to send millions of dollars to California to help fund mental health support programs at healthcare institutions throughout the state. Meantime, here in the Bay Area, some healthcare providers have already begun to act, including at UCSF. So, in our final segment, we're going to head back to the UCSF campus to speak now with Dr. Christina Mingurian. She's a professor of psychiatry who directs the UCSF COPE Wellbeing Program that's been offering mental health support to staff members experiencing distress related to the pandemic. Here's that conversation. Dr. Christina Mangurian, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little bit about how your program came about. Uh, I understand that it really was uh, stepped up in response to this pandemic and the recognition that this was something that was going to take uh, a horrendous toll on pretty much anybody who had to face it directly. So uh, bring us back to those early days. What were you seeing? What lent a sense of urgency to this work? Yeah, thank you so much for this uh, question. Um, yeah, this came about very early on in March, especially as we were seeing what was happening um, in New York City. We knew that this was going to have a the COVID pandemic was going to have a profound impact upon our um, healthcare providers. Um, we knew that there was a deadly illness; it was highly contagious, um, and that it was potentially going to overwhelm our healthcare system. And we knew that all of our um, providers were going to be emotionally overwhelmed as well. Um, and thanks to the leadership for Dr. Maja Jackson Trish, she really helped to kind of build out a large program to deal with um, a range of mental health issues. That 
that our providers might have um, uh, during the pandemic. And so I was fortunate to get to work under her leadership and then work with Dr. Alyssa Pell and Margot Pumar to build a lot of um, um, resources for our employees. So that included town halls, wellness workshops, small groups. I also um, worked with Dr. Pell to create a very robust um, website that has just everything you could imagine around um, well-being. We have um, curated mental health apps, videos that can teach you different skills, um, information about caring for kids and um, elderly during the pandemic. During the pandemic, we also evolved as things evolved, right? As we had compounded stressors with the wildfires and the racial unrest and political stress. And so we have a lot of information um, on our website about that as well. But I think what really drew me to this obviously was seeing my brothers and sisters on the front line struggling and I wanted to do whatever I could to help them. And for those of us who have never worked in healthcare, help bridge that gap, help folks out here understand what's going on inside a hospital that uh, creates that level of struggle. We heard a little bit earlier in the program about some of the operational challenges, staffing shortages faced by many hospitals. But um, we were you and I just speaking a moment ago before we turned these microphones on, and, and you were drawing the comparison to national disasters, terrorist attacks, like that level of crisis um, and and drawing lessons from the sorts of mental health impacts that those crises have taken on first responders in the past. So we really are talking about that level of crisis. Oh, oh, it definitely was. I mean, it was um, uh, the the virus was you know so contagious in the beginning, and there were no treatments and no um, uh, vaccines in the beginning, as you remember. And so we were watching this pandemic um, kind of roll out and evolve um, in real time. And this was not hitting a system that was already really healthy, right? A lot of people were already really tired and burned out within healthcare. And so then all of a sudden we were worried. We were watching our, again, our, our other colleagues in New York, their systems get flooded. Um, them having ERs overflowing, them having to triage care, morgues out in the street in, a, in, a, in, in trucks, you know, in vans. We saw this and thanks to the leadership, I think in San Francisco, we avoided a lot of that really huge turmoil, but that doesn't mean we didn't get hit. Um, but we got hit in a different way. Um, and so it was a major disaster. And we approached it with that lens of what could we do and support and provide psychological first aid to people. Over time, it's obviously evolved and changed. Now everybody is just, frankly, extremely exhausted. Speaking once again to Dr. Christina Mangurian. She once again is a professor of psychiatry who uh, is, directs the UCSF COPE Wellbeing Program. Tell us a little bit about that sense of exhaustion that uh, providers are feeling at this point uh, after so much time, so many surges face down. We're now entering the third year. It's uh, nutty to think about. What does that add up to after all this time? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I talked to a colleague of mine who, you know, has been working in an intensive care unit and just feeling entirely overwhelmed. She has two children under five and the daycares won't, you know, take them back until she gets a PCR test. The PCR tests um, take forever for those results to come back. She's then left not being able to go into work. Then her colleagues are having to cover for her. It's just absolutely exhausting. It's, uh, you, you know, um, uh, I, 
I'm a psychiatrist, so we're one of those hidden frontline workers, right, where it hit us. A lot of psychiatrists have been very, very busy throughout the pandemic. Um, we're not treating people, obviously, in the ICU, but we're treating the after effects and impacts of the pandemic upon people. And I just uniformly, everybody's like, just, I need a vacation again. You know, even after some of us who've been lucky enough to take vacations over the holidays, come back and just say, I wish I could have more time off. Um, I think it's just, I think we're like most Americans other than, you know, our work hasn't slowed down. Our work has sped up and been faster and busier for, you know, now, you know, finishing our second year. So we mentioned at the top of this conversation some additional federal funding that is headed towards California that is going to help support programs that are both uh, providing training skills to healthcare, uh, uh, coping skills to healthcare providers, as well as more mental health support. What if we're looking at the more long-term impacts of this pandemic, the the ways that maybe more folks are recognizing. Um, mental health as as uh, something that's needed to be addressed within the profession. What are you hoping to see further down the line? I'm, I'm so happy you asked this question. I'm so grateful that the federal government is giving these funds. It's so needed and it's needed to protect our workforce so that we can continue to, stay, continue to stay in the workforce and not just exit. I'm extremely concerned about a massive exodus, particularly by women um, from the workforce, just because this has been absolutely overwhelming. Um, so if, if you know, some of the plans that we have and would like to do um, would involve several things. I, I was telling you earlier that I deployed, we'd applied as part of the university for a grant from HRSA and had outlined some strategies that we would take to improve the mental health of our employees. One is definitely a path to individual treatment. So a path for every employee to be able to see a psychiatrist or a therapist and good access and resources to know where they could access care for their loved ones, especially their children. So many people are struggling with their adolescents having really a lot of difficulty during this pandemic and being able to provide that kind of care is critical. Um, as I mentioned before, people in healthcare are burned out. We need to identify these hot spots of burnout and target those spots for some, you know, interventions for the for the leaders. We need wellness-centered leadership training for all managers. If your boss isn't nice, it's really hard for you to go to work. You know, and it's not just nice, it's it's having a very a, a, a compassionate person who cares about you as an individual. Um, I also think that we need to definitely have advanced planning for the next disaster. I think there will be another pandemic. There will be another wildfire. You know, we need to prepare for these things and prepare for the well-being of our staff when we're doing this, not just how we're going to staff the emergency room services. And finally, there's got to be um, a huge campaign for um, destigmatization of mental health treatment. Um, I was telling you before, I, I will do it now, um, but I rarely did it before. I, I, I take a medicine called Lexapro, which is an SSRI. Um, it's I have some anxiety. It really helps me. Um, and has, has really helped me during the pandemic. I said that openly in the beginning of the pandemic, specifically to help my colleagues actually get help that they might need because they, I knew they wouldn't if they didn't hear that somebody else who they might have respected or um, 
uh, you know, was also doing it. And I can't tell you how many people wrote me and said, well, I am too. I am too, you know, and, and, and I, I, I might think about doing this now. And that really helped me to know in a little way, just me telling a little bit of my story um, could help others. Yeah, as we've heard on the program before, when you're the one who's always helping others, sometimes it's uh, very difficult to tell other people that you need some help as well. But uh, certainly heartening to hear about the work that you're doing and that uh, we hope to see more of in the coming months and years. Uh, we haven't spoken so far to Dr. Christina Mangurian, once again, a professor of psychiatry, also the director of the UCSF COPE Wellbeing Program. Dr. Christina Mangurian, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.